Welcome to our 2022 Market Outlook webcast. I'm John Morey, Head of Client Service and Business Development at Fiduciary Trust. I hope that you and your families are staying safe and healthy in this ever-adapting world. In today's discussion, we'll help you to stay one step ahead by sharing our perspective on the following topics. Our review of market performance and the key drivers of 2021, the impact the evolving pandemic may have on economic growth this year, the outlook for inflation and how to be well prepared, how the Federal Reserve's move towards policy normalization may impact interest rates, and lastly, our investment outlook by asset class. I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, and Hans Olsen, our Chief Investment Officer, who will share our perspective on these important topics. Over to you, Austin, to begin today's discussion. Thank you, John, and thank you all for joining us today. As you can see, we are not uh, broadcasting from our offices. Like many companies, we're operating remotely during this COVID spike, and we hope that you all continue to safely navigate the pandemic. I'm joined, as in every quarter, uh, here with our Chief Investment Officer, Hans Olson. Hans, are you there? Yes, Austin, I'm here. It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Boy, uh, we I was thinking about it. We've had a, a very active 2021, and I think a lot of people want to also focus on what's ahead. But briefly, how would you summarize the, um, the unique, the historic 2021 months, not only across the asset classes, but just uh, navigation of this pandemic? Yeah, I think the, a review of, of, of 2021 really starts with how remarkable the year was. It built on very strong performance in 2020. Uh, uh, markets in the U.S. Uh, posted another 26% plus return last year on top of the prior year. Um, small cap stocks were up, international markets, uh, developed international markets up. I think the, the big uh, uh, noteworthy event last year was how poorly fixed income did right across the board. Uh, it reversed largely the, um, uh, the gains of the prior year. And that's probably to be expected given the, the talk about a change in, in monetary policy in 2022. But overall, Austin, remarkably good year uh, against a challenging backdrop for sure uh, with, with remarkably little volatility as well. Hans, I know we're going to talk about what were the drivers of the change in fixed income, uh, obviously inflation, monetary policies, and so forth. But does the the strength of last year's performance across the equity categories, across U.S. large cap, across mid cap, small cap, developed international, how does that tee up your thoughts as it relates to uh, this upcoming year? Should we? I guess my question is: Should we expect the same same level and magnitude of returns? Right. No, I don't think so. I think we can, in some respects, we can look for continuation of what we were seeing in the fixed income markets last year. Uh, the early indications are this year that that's that's going to continue to play out. Uh, number one, and number two, I think equity market returns will be more muted this year uh, because of some of the echo effects of dealing with the uh, 
the COVID pandemic uh, will come into sharper focus this year. So this is things like talking about supply line disruptions, inflation. Um, in fact, uh, earnings can't grow at the rate they did last year. They were, grow, they, they were going to be up something on the order of about 40% or more. That's not going to happen in 2022. So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the biggest factor here um, for society and for the economy, which is the COVID pandemic. Um, how do you interpret um, where we stand right now uh, during this collective journey? Well, I think if you look at the data, what really stands out is this notion of waves. This pandemic is a pandemic of waves. Uh, and, and by my reckoning, we're on the fourth wave. And we haven't crested in this fourth wave. We're still um, approaching whatever this peak is going to be. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking about that both globally and here at home in the United States. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, fourth wave, haven't peaked yet. But I think what's interesting about this is that death rates uh, are falling um, and they, the, the trend is lower. And equally important, is the is the rate of uh, both vaccinate dosages of vaccination that are being given, and that remains at an elevated level. So those are two important developments against a backdrop of of an infection rate, uh, new infection rate or new cases, as they call it, that remains quite high, and and it looks like it continues to increase. So we have not crested that wave yet. So Hans, how do you interpret um, how businesses today are operating, let's say in the month of January, right now during the, the peak of this uh, spike, um, how they're thinking about it during the first quarter and the first half of the year, and then the market's interpretation of that? Well, I think what we're seeing with businesses, both in the, in the public sector and in the private sector, is they're trying to navigate these waves like the rest of us. So you, you've seen in um, recently that the problems in uh, staffing in airlines and, and, and transport, you're seeing continued problems in the supply chain with um, uh, ships not being able to get into harbor. And, and, and also the, um, uh, just sort of the general uncertainty when a normal rhythm can reestablish itself. So these companies are all trying to navigate this um, in real time without any real sense of, 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 of how ultimately when it uh, uh, starts to smooth out. So I, I think this is going to be a first half of the year phenomenon, without a doubt, um, especially when you look at the, the cresting or this pattern of new infections. I think the expectations, the markets are viewing it a bit differently. Markets are, are assuming, for the most part, that everything's going to work out just fine. And you're seeing that certainly uh, as, as 2021 wrapped up. And in the early days this year, how strong the, the, the overall market is, has been. Now, there's been some weakness in technology, and that's, a, that's a, another story. But um, for sure, I think the expectations continue to be that um, this is all going to resolve itself and we'll get back to some sort of normal commercial. Hans, stuff. can you talk about one of the, the key factors of 2021 and will be a key factor of 2022 and, and maybe for years to come, which is inflation? Um, and I think you would you would make the point that yeah. the pandemic and the monetary policy and the uh, labor policy uh, or labor challenges and the uh, supply chains 
have all come together to crest around um, an increased uh, level of, of inflation and expectations. Um, how do you view that? Yeah, Austin, I, I think the intersection of the pandemic, um, policy, all the disruptions around the pandemic, um, all intersected inflation now. And what we're seeing with inflation is, is at home, it is systemic. So it's broad-based. If you look at the way that the government um, measures inflation and all the different categories that it measures, what you find is two things. One, it's heating up pretty significantly. It, it's durable, right? So over the course of 2021, it was heating up and it's been increasingly um, higher. Inflation is increasingly higher as we went through the year. And it's very broad-based. If you open the lens, uh, it is a global phenomenon. And so then it has you, it, it, then you have to consider sort of the, 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 the causes of inflation, whether it be the supply chain disruptions, dislocations in the labor market. But if you think about the elements of input, which is both labor and material, and you look across developed markets, what you find is that shortages of both labor and material are pretty significant relative to uh, um, the last 20 years, their average over the last 20 years. So we are at, an, uh, at a point in time where inflation is becoming a problem. The question is, will it be transitory or not? But it's currently a problem. It's, it's broad-based and it's pretty deep. So I think that is what we're going to have to deal with uh, as we transit the next, indeed, 12 to 24 months. Hans, you've talked about in the past about sort of what you described as two regimes um, and what that what you I think you're referencing is the standpoint of the relationship between inflation and um, yields on bonds, uh, particularly the Treasury bonds. Um, what does history interpret as it relates to and again, maybe this comes this also comes back to your point of view regarding how fixed income did last year and maybe some points of view about how fixed income will do this year. Um, what does history tell us about the relationship between um, inflation and uh, treasury yields? Yeah, yeah, so essentially it's this intersection of of inflation or or prices and the price of money. So it's the price of money in relation to the prices of things and services or stuff and services. And if you look, if you look at the data going back to um, 1990, the relationship between the yield on the 10-year treasury, and we talk about the 10-year treasury because it's an important benchmark. A lot of things are priced off that, um, that important security. So if you look at the, the, the relationship between inflation and the price of money as represented through the 10-year treasury, it's had a fairly consistent and very strongly positive association. So if one goes up, the other goes up. And what you've seen since the beginning of the pandemic is a break between that relationship, which begs the question, in the absence of all the extraordinary monetary policy that we've seen, so if we go back to normalization and inflation persists, What's the level? What's the level at which the price of money uh, will be in relation to the price of things and stuff? And the answer to that 
seems to be, based on the historic data, materially higher than where it is right now. So if the 10-year treasury is at 1617, possibly 18 today, um, you know, in a world where you're running at five or six percent inflation, you're looking at numbers that are are you know north of five percent or more um, on the ten-year treasury, which is significantly higher than where it is right now, and which is what I think the bond market is starting to prefigure by the the sell-off in in, in broad-based um, bond markets. And Hans, just going back to the the what I always call bond math, which is the higher the yield, the lower the 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 value, correct? Uh, and as that, so I think what you're saying is, if yields rise, the note that you hold today will have less value. Has less value. So as yields rise, prices fall of that security. So as inflation goes up, prices of those securities fall which resets that, that yield higher, or the price of that money higher. Well, there's been a lot of talk about whether this uh, inflation rate, uh, which now is, is, I believe, in the 5 or five or 6% year-over-year uh, level, whether it will go continue to go higher, whether it will plateau at that level, or whether it will revert down to some smaller number. What's your point of view? I think it's going, my, my take on this at this juncture, based on what we're seeing in terms of shortages that we've talked about and the systemic nature of the shortages um, and, and the, price, the momentum that we're seeing in prices to go higher, I think that's going to sustain itself for a bit. Um, and it could possibly go higher before it goes lower. Ultimately, though, Austin, I think where we settle in once the supply chains are worked out and, and we get through the employment shortages in some form, we will, we will find that prices settled in to somewhere to, to a 3 to 4% increases in prices, inflation rate year over year, rather than the close to 6% we're running at right now. Um, 3%, not the end of the world, uh, but materially higher than where it has been at, which is about 15 to 2% over the last decade. So how does that translate? Uh, we've talked about how that translates into the fixed income universe, but how does that translate into market valuations? Um, because again, my sense is uh, we've had a great run-up uh, last year, um, but with this uh, continuing inflation, how do you how do you think about deployment of capital across businesses, both here in the United States and abroad? Well, I think. First of all, sort of as a multi-asset class investor, um, first and foremost, that's what we are. What is interesting to observe last year was the dog that never barked. And, and when you think about it, the two assets uh, that everybody hang their, seems to hang their hat on and owning uh, in an inflationary environment is, is Bitcoin and gold. Well, I'd say gold and Bitcoin. And what was interesting last year, Austin, is that gold did largely nothing. And if you were ever going to use gold as an inflation hedge, last year would have seemed the year that you, you, would, have, you would have done it. And it was remarkably without success, I think. Um, uh, you know. I think that Bitcoin is an interesting study because that is sort of the new gold, right? Uh, and yet, and yet, that 
really didn't act in a way that one would suggest would be a, a good inflation hedge and store of value, a store of value that you could access in any reliable way, so given the volatility of it. So, it, you know, it's kind of interesting as a multi-asset class investor to observe that. that. That was a moment in time. But I think coming back to the equity market, which I think for the most part has been probably the best hedge against inflation other than real assets, you know, things like real estate, um, uh, and the like, what you're finding, what you find with inflation and um, stock prices is that it, it, inflation is okay up to a certain level. When you get inflation rates above 6%, that's when the multiple that you will pay on earnings starts to fall. That's what history has shown. Um, below 6%, you, we can operate pretty well. From a company level, it's really company and sector specific. Some companies can pass on higher costs. We've seen that uh, historically in, in transport, uh, in food, and the like. Um, but And other companies can, can sort of eat the higher costs and let it eat into the margin. The problem is, is that uh, overall, how much of that occurs this year? Because earnings expectations started about a month or two ago for 2022 were up around 10% or more. Now they're at 9%. Our guess is that that's going to continue to come in as these supply line disruptions and the labor market disruptions continue. So there's downside risk to that this year. Still think we're going to see earnings growth, but it's going to be significantly lower than what it was last year and even uh, below, I think, what the expectations were at the are at the beginning of this year. Hans, given uh, that point of view and the global nature of COVID um, and the global nature of supply chain challenges and labor challenges and inflation, how do you think about emerging markets, developed international markets um, in, in relationship, again, being a multi-asset investor, how do you think about the trade-offs in those areas, knowing also that they're on different uh, COVID curves than, than here domestically? Yeah, yeah, it's it, and and also different paths to policy normalization too. Um, you know, the U.S. market, I think, while it is the um, most highly valued market, uh, will probably have earnings growth greater than both um, the emerging markets and developed markets next year. So, relatively, and and the and the poly, from a policy perspective, we're moving more quickly. Uh, and more in a more muscular way than other central banks to 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 correct policy. Now there's going to be some, you know, that'll probably produce more volatility, but it gets us to the other side quicker. Uh, so that's probably good for for U.S. equities uh, continues to be. But the nature of how you make money in U.S. equities will change next year, and and I think you're starting to see some of that unfold already. You know, market will pivot away from some of those very high expectation stocks that are light on on profits, but but you know, high on uh, expectations. And so you'll see a, a rotation from sort of the FANG stocks and the like, um, um, sort of the story stocks, the work from home stocks, to more quality, um, you know, consistent growers that um, perhaps don't have the high expectations and the like. That said, when you open the lens and look to places like Europe and emerging markets, First of all, it's going to be currency dependent, right? Because um, that'll have an impact on what the returns will be. But in places like Europe, um, valuations are lower. I mean, there's just you can buy a unit of earnings in Europe for a lot less than what you can buy them for here in the United States. 
The problem is, of course, is that um, policies in Europe continue to be challenged, um, uh, you know, to, to be kind about it. But that doesn't negate the fact that there are wonderful companies there. We think there's probably a better opportunity in the U.S., but one of the things that we continue to look for are specific opportunities in Europe if we can get some pretty attractive exposures there at a reasonable price, because looking through to the other side, we should, we should see some, um, um, some profits there. Finally, emerging markets, you know, if when you get interest rate normalization, you know, the first sort of block that sees that is the emerging markets. And I think those, that, those markets might be particularly vulnerable this year for a lot of volatility as rates start to normalize or attempts at rate normalization occurs and we see currency movements uh, uh, and the like. So, so you know, we're probably less enthusiastic about emerging markets. We would love to be more invested in Europe if we could. Um, and right now, the U.S. continues to offer us the, the, the most interesting opportunities, but opportunities in a different way than we've seen them before. Hans, one topic that will, I'm sure we will be talking about at our second quarter gathering will be midterm elections um, and the influence of, obviously, the influence of politics across the markets, across businesses. What's your point of view as it relates to uh, the the potential impact of the upcoming midterm elections? I mean, I'm sorry, mid mid cycle elections. Mid cycle elections, yeah, yeah. I take a, a a very marked influence view toward it. What is it going to do to the markets? And I think what you've seen uh, in midterm elections, second year presidential terms, uh, is that the, that's when you see volatility at its highest, um, and so the potential for a drawdown in the equity market this year, a, a drawdown that could be material. And our base case is that we will see something on the order of 10 to 15%, which is utterly, you know, it would be jarring given the fact that last year we only saw a drawdown of about 5%. Drawdowns between 6 15%, pretty, pretty normal over time. But I think that uh, when you look at, especially a presidential, uh, a, a midterm election year, number one, uh, number two, um, attempts at rate normalization, they're all going to intersect uh, at a place of more volatility uh, in markets. Now, when you, when you look forward from those, those elections, markets typically are higher. Um, uncertainty gets resolved. Markets are generally materially higher after that. And I, and I think we've got a good shot at that. But, I, but before we get there, Austin, uh, we're going to have to prepare ourselves for, for some bouts of some pretty teeth natural volatility at some point. That doesn't mean you try to time any of it. And indeed, we've been trying to um, anticipate some of it by changing how our portfolios are, are, are uh, constructed by sort of broadening exposures, moving away from some of those high expectation stocks. Um, so we're, we're, we're expecting some of this. Hans, uh, I think you, you're, you mentioned volatility five times in the last uh, few seconds here. Um, historically, a lot of times, I think some, some other managers, when they see volatility, they, they raise a lot of cash. Yeah. Um, what would your thoughts regarding that at this time, particularly given inflation, how do you think about that? Yeah, well, first of all, cash is probably the... As a, as a store of value, 
when you have um, negative rates, especially we were talking earlier about the 10-year Treasury, Austin, the real rate, the inflation-adjusted rate. So you take the yield on that 10-year Treasury, subtract the inflation rate. It's never been this low in the last 40 years. Um, so it's an it's a, a incredibly pernicious impact on purchasing power and capital to hold cash or, or you know, uh, government bonds. So doing that, Hans, let's just pause there one second just to reiterate this point, because I think it's, a, it's an important point that we've talked about in the past. The, the impact of negative real interest rates, where we, we get a yield or we get a return and then we subtract out inflation, during that period of time, if it's negative, your buying power is less than what you had before, correct? That's right. It, it, it is falling. It is falling. You can buy less goods and services because you have not kept up with the rate of inflation. And Austin, as you know, that is a cardinal sin of investors, right? That is, that is something that no investor, no steward of capital um, uh, allows to happen. They, that's the first thing that you try to, to fight against. And that environment is, is right now very severely, you know, interest rate environment is severely negative. And that's problematic. That ha that is that is a state of affairs that cannot continue, uh, and because it cannot continue, it won't. Uh, and and that has real implications for for volatility and how one goes about protecting that purchasing power of capital. So Hans, in our final moments here, can you across the asset classes, how would you um, you know, stake our, our perspectives as we begin the year yeah. of sort of the relative interest or, or uh, attractiveness across the larger asset classes? Well, we'll as we always do, we'll speak to how um, our, our beacon portfolios um, are, are positioned. And we are overweight uh, U.S. equities, uh, both in the large and mid-cap, uh, relative to our, our, our benchmarks. We're underweight international. Um, Europe is an area we'd love to be more invested in, but for the reasons we've already talked about, we've, we're not there yet um, and probably won't be there anytime soon. Um, emerging markets an area where we wouldn't add any more money to. We're, we're neutral right now, but we're, our emerging market exposure um, we've taken very differently because we uh, tried to strip out as much as the Chinese of the Chinese exposure as we can. Um, it's a market that we we we're not really comfortable with. In the uh, in the uh, uh, fixed income space, as we said, we're we we don't hold any high yield at the moment. Um, we've tried to keep the uh, fixed income exposures very short duration. Um, we're underweight cash. And where we have tried to make up for um, the loss of purchasing power in one part of the fixed income landscape, we've tried to capture it back in our structured credit uh, uh, portfolio. So we're overweight structured credit. And um, that, and, we're, and as I said, we're underweight cash, severely underweight cash uh, as, a, as a way to, to, to protect the purchasing power of uh, client assets. And so that's that's where we stand coming into 2022, um, and we're we're looking for opportunities both to try to capture the return that's available to us in the equity market, but also um, very keen to understand where there might be opportunities in fixed income market away from um, what people normally think about treasure, um, treasury securities and agency securities. Well, Hans, I know through the course of the year we will be updating those points of view and navigating and, and adjusting those as, as the world continues to evolve. 
Um, but let me conclude with posing two questions to you. Um, Hans, what, what do you think, uh, what, what two things will we be surprised by? Um, one on the positive standpoint as it relates to markets, uh, and one on the negative side. And again, I won't hold you to these, um, but more thought starters about uh, expecting the unexpected. So right now, so I, I, I think I have two, Austin. Um, one would be positive, one could be negative. And, and, and the positive is, is that uh, right now there's a great expectation that our central bank, the Federal Reserve, will be able to um, launch this uh, uh, policy normalization along the time frame that they expect. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they'll be able to do it. Uh, I think markets will protest, and it's going to test their resolve, and uh, they won't be able to pull it off. And that will cause um, uh, prices to go up, uh, because as a lower interest rate regime, regime continues. So that could be positive for markets. I'm not sure it's really expected at this juncture. The negative, uh, and, and even as we tape this within the last 24 hours, uh, <laughs> maybe this surprise shouldn't be so surprising, but I think there's a there is a significant um, probability that from a geopolitical point, um, Russia will roll into parts of the Ukraine already. Last 24 hours, they have now sent troops, paratroopers, to Kazakhstan, uh, which enormous country on both the Russian and Chinese border to quell what looks like is a pretty significant uprising there because of uh, prices, standards of living. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so, you know, uh, that would represent, um, you know, a, a Russian incursion and another Russian incursion into the Eastern Ukraine, uh, could have potentially very negative consequences for markets in 2022, uh, that are not really priced. Excellent, Hans. Well, I, I will, we will be interested to see how the next 12 months plays out. I very much value uh, Hans uh, joining today and offering perspectives, and I appreciate everyone uh, joining us. Uh, as we said, we want to make certain that everybody uh, continues to safely navigate the pandemic, um, and we appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with us. Uh, we'll look forward to getting together in three months, uh, and I'll return it back to you, John. I'd also like to express appreciation to our audience for joining. We hope that you found the discussion useful. We're at a complex juncture for the economy and markets. At Fiduciary Trust, we have extensive wealth planning, investment, trust, tax, and other expertise to help our clients navigate through it and achieve their goals. I encourage you to access some of our knowledge through insights on our website at fidtrustco.com, as well as through reaching out to a Fiduciary Trust officer if we can be of any assistance. If you do not have a fiduciary trust officer to reach out to, please contact me directly at 617-292-6799 or at maury at fiduciary-trust.com. Thanks again for joining. We wish you and your family health and well-being. The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. The materials discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. 
Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and viewers should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with their investment, legal, or tax advisors. Copyright 2022, Fiduciary Trust Company.